Titus chapter 2, verse 6 through 8. Titus chapter 2, verse 6 through 8. I'm hoping Leah can come down, Leah St. John, and, uh, and be in person with us. And uh, I'd like for her to be able to sing with us. I'd like Brother Doug to be able to give us a devotion after we eat, if you can prepare for that. All right. Um, I thought I'd let you know and give you at least a week. You only had a few minutes this morning. All right. Titus 2, verse 6 through 8. Titus 2, verse 6 through 8. We've been studying the attributes of godly men and women the past few weeks. Last week, Paul addressed the young women, and I had a lot of wonderful comments from the ladies last week who were thankful to learn what God had to say about godly womanhood. Uh, I noticed some of our visitors didn't come back, but... (laughs) But, uh, oh well, you know, it is what it is. We're going to teach the Bible. This morning, God willing, we're going to read what Paul has to say concerning young men. And, but I, I loved some of the comments that I read and, and the, some of the things that were said to me by some of the ladies. Uh, because a godly person, they want to know what the Bible says. One particular woman told me that she had been praying and uh, for, for God to show her how to grow in Christ. And she said that the, the lesson gave her specifics on what God wanted her to be and some things to, to go after. And, and, and you know, I, I've raised up in church where, you know, the, the preacher would preach about the women. He'd preach about the men. Well, it's your turn this time, man. Well, it's your turn this time, ladies. And, you know, uh, and everyone has to cringe hearing it. It shouldn't be like that. It should be to where we say, man, give it to me. I want to be like the Bible says. Anything other than that's just wickedness. It's rebellion. So get over it. All right. Just the way it is. Titus chapter 2, verse 6. Paul says to Titus, young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. Young men need to be sober-minded. And we've seen the word sober already in the book of Titus in verse 2. The aged men are to be sober. Verse 4, the young women are to be sober. And now in verse 6, the young men are to be sober. But this is the first time and the only time that this particular Greek word that's translated sober here is used in the book of Titus. No other time. Different from the other two. But fortunately we have several examples, excellent examples in other places of the Bible where this Greek word is used. It's just not necessarily translated sober in other places. But seeing how it's used in other places of the Bible, it will help us understand what God is saying to the young men through the Apostle Paul. Generally speaking, to be sober means to be in a right state of mind, both physically as well as spiritually. But the examples we have where this particular Greek word is used are going to help us understand even better. So I would like for you, if you would, to take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. Keep your place there in Titus. Keep your finger or a piece of paper there. Turn to Luke chapter 8. And I'd like for us to look at a very moving, touching passage of Scripture where this word translated sober in the book of Titus is used. In Luke chapter 8, there was a man who for a long time had been possessed with many devils. 
Very sad story. Very sad story. For a long time, this man had been living where he shouldn't have been living. Doing what he shouldn't have been doing. For a long time, he was living among the dead. And he was a danger to himself and others. He was known by everyone to be a crazy man. We all know people like that. There's always the resident crazy person. When I grew up, we had a, a lady that would walk down the street. And as cars passed by, she would take her foot and she'd stomp at those cars. We thought, we, everyone thought she was a witch, thought she was cursing them. Sometimes she would pick up trash off the side of the road. She'd throw it at the cars when they went by. Everyone knew she was crazy. And it's like this man here. Everyone knew that he was crazy. He was possessed with devils. But one day that crazy man, full of the devil, met the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, how wonderful. And when he did, people from all around, after Jesus cast those devils out of that man, people from all around came to see uh, the great change that uh, Jesus had done in that man's life. Jesus and his great compassion. He set this man free from his bondage to sin. He cast those devils out of them. And that brought a great change in that man's life. And when the word got out, people coming around from all places. Look now in Luke chapter 8 verse 35. The Bible says, Then they went out to see what was done. Boy, the crowd's coming up. Be like that crazy lady meeting Jesus. And everyone coming to see what kind of woman she is now. Except he was far off. Worse than that crazy woman in, my, in Athens. It says, And came to Jesus and found the man out of whom the devils were departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed, take your pens out and underscore, and in his right mind. In his right mind. And they were afraid. In other words, they're like, oh, wow. Something's going on here. This isn't the man we've always known. So again, underscore the words, in his right mind. Before Jesus, this man was living where he shouldn't have been living, doing what he shouldn't have been doing. Why? All because he was thinking how he shouldn't have been thinking. That's why. But all that changed when he met Jesus. Now he was in his right mind. In those four words, in his right mind, are the translation of the one word that's translated sober in the book of Titus. Same Greek word. And so we see that to be sober is to be what? In your right mind. In your right mind. So by looking at this man whom Jesus made sober, whom Jesus put in his right mind, we can get a good understanding of what Paul is telling Titus this morning. We can get a good understanding of what a young man should be when he's in his right mind, when he's sober. And the first thing I want you to see this morning about this man who was sober, who was in his right mind, is that he was sitting at the feet of Jesus. Luke said, they went out to see what was done and came to see Jesus and found the man out of whom the devils were departed sitting at the feet of Jesus. Listen, when a man is in his right mind, he's going to be sitting at the feet of Jesus. That's all there is to it. Now, you may be able to pass a sobriety test. You may be able to pass a background test and get a job with top secret clearance at the government. 
But if you're not at the feet of Jesus, you're not in your right mind. Because anybody who would turn the redemption of Christ down, anybody who would neglect the instruction of their God, has got to be crazy. Right? They've got to be crazy. Maybe not compared to the world. They're normative as far as the world's concerned. They're crazy as far as wisdom and truth is concerned. To sit at the feet of Jesus doesn't mean he, he just sitting down on the ground because he didn't have a stool to sit on. That's not what it means in the New Testament. To sit at the feet of Jesus means this man was sitting down as a student of God's Word listening to Jesus teach. Write down in your notes or your margin Luke chapter 9, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 10, verse 39. Luke chapter 10, verse 39. That we're there, the Bible speaks of a woman named Mary, quote, who, quote, sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. That's what this man was doing, who had been dispossessed of those devils. When he was sitting at the feet of Jesus, he was hearing the words of Christ. He was uh, sat at Jesus' feet, humbling himself to the authority of his Savior. That's what a young man should be. Every young man should be humbling themselves to the authority of their Savior, the authority of Jesus Christ. When he sat down at Jesus' feet, he was taking a lowly position of a student. Acknowledging Jesus to be his teacher. Oh man, you know what young men are? They're proud. Let me tell you what I saw yesterday, Brother Doug. It was great. I'm out in my front yard. Minding my own business. Always am. And it's a hundred and something degrees out there, you know. Just about it. I'm waiting until the evening goes, you know, the sun starts to go down. And... I got my little five-gallon bucket, and I'm over there in the shrubs at the water hydrant. I'm filling up my five-gallon bucket, so I can go pour them on Tammy's potted plants and pour them on my little tree I'm trying to grow in the front yard. So I'm over there in these shrubs watching this bucket fill up out of the water hose, and I see these two young men, two teenage boys, skinny as a rail, hadn't filled out yet. But they're teenagers, and they're just full of themselves. And they're out there with a, with a camera, with a, with a phone, a smartphone. And you could tell they're taking pictures of themselves like maybe for a profile photo. And uh, one of them was kind of standing like this. The other guy was taking his picture. And then he gave the phone to the other guy. And he stood with his hands on his hips staring valiantly up into the sky, you know. <laughs> and they're right in the middle of the street doing this. And I'm just over there watching my bucket and watching those boys just getting a kick out of it. And finally, the boy that decided to stare up to the sky realized, well, my back's to traffic. Maybe I ought to make sure I'm not getting ran over. And so while the guy's snapping his photos, he looks back like that, check for traffic, and he sees me in the bushes watching him. And they look like a deer, you know, when you see a deer. He just stares like that. He goes, oh, man, this is embarrassing. You see, look all over his face. He looked back at that guy, and he talks to him. He kind of adjusts, and... He puts his hands back on his hips and he glances one more time to see if I'm still watching. And I am. And he looked so embarrassed. And I looked at him and I said, you guys look great. And he goes, just like that. Here he goes, man. Full of himself. That's why these young men need to be taught, hey, 
yeah, it's, it's, it's good to be cool and all that stuff. But you know what? The best attribute of a young man should be is to be humbled and realize, I need to be taught by my God. That's the best attribute we can teach young men. Listen, young men, you can be good at gaming. You can be good at watching movies. You can be good at whatever athletics or whatever hobbies. Old men too. You can be good at whatever you want. But if you're not good at studying the Bible, you're not much of a young man. You're not. I'm not saying you have to be a Bible scholar. But I am saying this. I'm saying men need to be sitting at the feet of Christ. This young man, or this man rather, who was dispossessed of the devils, he sat down because he knew he needed to be guided by the wisdom of his Creator. He knew that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. A man in his right mind will always have Jesus in his right place. And if you do not have Jesus in first place in your life, then you're not in your right mind because Jesus isn't in his right place in your thoughts, in your head, in your heart. Men, if you want to be a leader, then sit at the feet of Jesus. If you want to possess genuine masculinity, then sit at the feet of Jesus. If you want to be a good husband and father, then you need to sit at the feet of Jesus. Why should people follow you if you're not following Him? How can you exhibit genuine manliness if you're not learning from the God who created man? He knows what manliness is all about. He made man. Our world is in a sad shape right now. And do you know why our world is in a sad shape right now? It's in a sad shape because in the Garden of Eden... A man quit being a man. Our nation is in a sad shape right now because men have quit being men. They're too proud and too stubborn to sit at Jesus' feet and hear His Word. Oh, they're good at playing golf. They're good at going out mud bogging or whatever they do. They're good at having a good time. They're good at whatever. But they're not sitting at the feet of Jesus. Today's men know how to work and play, but they don't know how to live. Instead of sitting at Jesus' feet, they're sitting at the feet of the people they're supposed to be leading. How upside down men have turned our world because they refuse to obey the Word of God. I feel sorry for women who have to go to church by themselves. I do. Men, your wife should be following you. To church. I'm pointing at the cameras too. Whoever's watching. Your wife should be following you to church. God has ordained you. To be the leader of your home. And your wife and children. Should be following you to Jesus feet. When these doors are open. And when his word is being taught. Several years back. I had a young man ask me to pray for his wife here. Who needed to be saved. He said she was living in sin, and she was, when I come to find out about it. She was. And God answered our prayer. That young woman started coming to church, and eventually she professed faith in Christ, and we baptized her. And, and when she did, when she started coming to church uh, faithfully every Sunday, 
And her husband saw that she was, was living right now and everything was okay. The next thing you know, he's skipping out on church and she's trying to get him to come with her. Got precious little kids. And she's rounding them up by herself, taking them to church. And he told her, he said, I've got stuff to do around the house. Important stuff that has to be done. In other words, he was telling his wife, you go sit at Jesus' feet. I have more important things to do. Before long, neither one of them were coming. The young man wasn't in his right mind. He wasn't sober. Men often make the mistake of thinking women should be the more religious person in the marriage partnership. While the men stay home and get things done around the house. But the truth is, the most masculine thing a man can do is to sit at Jesus' feet. You can grow a long beard. You can drive a four-wheel drive pickup truck. You can get big muscles like Brother Shepherd. You can even drink testosterone for breakfast. I bet you he does that. But you have failed as a man if you are not humbly submitted to the Son of Man. Young man, even older men, you are not fit to marry if you are incapable of leading a woman by the Scriptures in your pursuit of God's will together. You're not fit to marry if you can't do that. And young woman, never marry a man who is incapable of being your spiritual mentor. Your spiritual leader. Don't do it. Don't look for a man who's looking for a woman. You look for a man who's looking for God. That's what you do. Now don't miss that the man who sat at Jesus' feet was not only his right mind. The Bible said he was clothed. Oh, we got on that last week, didn't we? Clothing. He was naked before. Whatever degree of nakedness we don't know. But we do know this. When the man met Jesus, and he got in his right mind, he got in his right mind and got some clothes on. And the Bible, the Holy Spirit took the time to point that out to us. It's one of the first things God did with Adam and Eve, was put some clothes on them. And when people aren't in their right minds, they want to take them off. A man in his right mind will be rightly dressed. He will be clothed, and he will be modest. I personally don't go out in public without a shirt on. I wouldn't do it. I, I went to a church one time up in Fort Worth. I was having a good time there until this happened. I went to a church and the pastor, and they were going to, I guess, shut church down for a weekend and uh, all go out to the, the river, this big river, and camp out and play in the water and all that stuff and well, I started thinking, I said, I said, well, I said, brother, I said, uh, y'all all, all going to go swimming together? And yeah, said, you men going to take your shirts off? Well, of course, women going to be wearing bathing suits? Sure. Now, this pastor was almost gluttonous. He was, he was rather large in the belly. And I was just picturing Standing out there and seeing this man with his sweaty, hairy chest and big old belly. 
all weekend long. And our wives staring at him with his shirt off and his wives and other people's wives staring at me with my shirt off and our kids watching all this going on. I'm thinking, not going to happen. And I told him, we don't do that. And we didn't. And we ended up leaving. You know, uh, we've got enough trouble in the world with uh, fornication, cheating on each other's spouses and everything. We've got enough trouble with that without people running around advertising their bodies and stuff. And, you know, I, I hate hearing when people say, I'm going to go to the beach, I'm working on my beach body. I hear it all the time. A guy at work did it. His dad's a pastor. He went off the beach the other day and he started trimming up. Why? So he could walk around and look like this when he's on the beach and, you know, and be seen and everything. You know, I don't want anyone seeing me but my wife. You know? I don't want to see on her but my wife, but, but, but me. And a lot of times, uh, both her and I, if we put something on and maybe we've gained some weight or maybe we've got some new piece of clothing or something. A lot of times uh, I will ask my wife or she'll ask me, does this look modest? Does this look okay? Before we ever go outside. And if she disapproves something I've got, not wearing it. If I disapprove something she's got, no argument. It goes in the trash or goes goodwill or wherever. Not happening. This morning, in fact, my wife says, I'm going to go step out in the sun. Would you go to the sunroom and look outside and make sure that the sun doesn't, uh, uh, you know, not, you're not able to see through my skirt. If so, she was going to put a slip on. And so I went to the sunroom and I looked. And nope, couldn't see through. But you see, that's the conscientiousness of a godly person where you're trying to make sure that you're clothed. And when you're in your right mind... You're going to be rightly dressed. You're going to be. I believe the knees on a man should be covered. That's the standard I have. If you, a lot of people enjoy wearing shorts, and I understand when it gets 100 degrees and all that, and, but uh, I believe your knees should be covered, men. And let, let me tell you, I've seen men sit down with a pair of shorts on before. They'll sit down with a pair of shorts on like this. You can see right up their legs to where you no one needs to be looking and you cross your legs it looks even worse now you can see the beginning of your hips I'm going to talk plain I, I have to see it I might as well talk about it cover yourselves up cover yourselves up it's vulgar get sober and get some clothes on naked people don't sit at Jesus feet we can get that from this text. Naked people don't sit at Jesus' feet. Now Paul says, Timothy, you teach these young men to be in their right minds. Verse 7, in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works. You know what he's telling Titus? He's saying, Titus, you're the teacher. And you need to be teach as you're teaching these young men, you need to be setting your life up to be a pattern for them. Used to, uh, when I worked for the state, sometimes we would have complex documents that we would have to draft uh, for legal reasons or whatever. And, um, and so if someone had never written one of those documents before, 
they would say, uh, can I have a go-by? Do you want to have a go-by? You know, you, you've done that before, I'm sure. And so what you do, you get what someone else has already successfully drafted. And now you take their name out, put your name in, and your elements or whatever out. And you, and you have something to go by. That's what he's telling uh, Titus. He's saying, Timothy, uh, Titus, you be a go-by for these young men. Give them something to watch and say, there we go. That's what godliness looks like. Let your godly life give those young men a pattern they can go by. Because men, for better or for worse, the way you live is going to influence other people. It's going to. How you talk is going to influence other people. Let your life be a pattern for Christian living. Give those young men something to go by. I've asked this question before. How would you like it if every man in the church was like you? As far as your standard of Christian living. From the pastor on down. How would the church be if every single man in the church was like you? How would the church be if every single man in the church gave in the offering plate what you gave? If they served like you serve. If they came to church like you came. How would the Sunday schools be? How would the services be? How, how, how would the church run? How would souls be saved if every man in the church was like you? If you're a pattern, what pattern are you setting? Because you are setting a pattern. Young men need a pattern, Titus, to so get out there and show them how it's done, Paul said. Look now, uh, back in your text, in doctrine showing uncorruptness. Show them a pattern of incorruptible doctrine, Titus. A good man will always have good doctrine. When a man has good doctrine, you know what it shows? It shows he's taking the time to pray, to study to listen to good teaching and compare God's word to make sure he believes and practices the truth. Titus needed to set an example for the younger men to follow concerning what they believed. We not only need to teach incorruptible doctrine, but we need to emphasize incorruptible doctrine to our young people. When you start teaching them, hey, this is important right here. You need this. And doctrine showing in, in corruption. You know, when, uh, when a young man is uh, growing up, he learns some important things in life. There's some men, just because of how they were raised, if you say, do you have a pocket knife? They'll say, have I got my pants on? Of course I've got a pocket knife. Right? Got to have a pocket knife. There was a man came last week and I saw him take out the keys to his car and he had a crescent wrench on his keychain. Hey, how about that? I like stuff like that, you know. And, uh, but when young men grow up, they need to learn the importance of a sharp pocket knife, a good, dependable firearm, a pickup truck, basic construction and repair skills from older men. But you know what they need to learn from older men more than that? They need to learn more than anything that the importance of incorruptible doctrine. Of believing right. 
Paul told Titus, show them a good example. Look back at your text of gravity. Gravity. Meaning Titus should be grave in those young men's eyes. Gravity has the idea of, of uh, respect. You know, respect. And uh, I'm sorry, my, my, my notes had uh, skipped. I'm having some trouble with my, my phone. It's been under, under uh, well, something fell on it. And it messed it up. But, but uh, gravity is very important. We have to set an example of uh, showing men what gravity means. It means integrity due to you being trustworthy. Integrity due to you being trustworthy. And we need to set the example for young men to be good, honest, respectable men. Men, if you give someone your word, keep it. Hold your standards high to the Word of God. Always be faithful to your spouse. Put in a day's work for a day's pay. Show kindness and mercy to your neighbor. Know the difference, young men. Very important. Between popularity and gravity. There's a difference. You you know what young men seek for today? Same thing young women do. Popularity. Notice me. Notice me. That's what it is. The devil wants you to confuse popularity and gravity. A lot of young men have to resort to foolish behavior to get attention in order to gain acceptance. They'll do something stupid, something shocking. They'll say things that are tough, that are stupid, that uh, that are shocking to cause people to pay attention to them. Say, hey, that guy's crazy, man. And they popularity. They're talking about me. Young people, you can be popular by being the village idiot. You can be feared by being dangerous and unkind. But you can only be respected by being grave. Respect gives people a reason to look up to you as a man. And give credit to God for making you the man you are. I'm starting to run out of time, but I, I remember uh, several years back going out of town on a trip. I can't remember if I told you the story or not, but I remember going out of town on a trip with my brother-in-law. And there was a Christian couple that were following us. I'd never met them before, uh, but uh, they were following us to this uh, church camp that we were going to for adults. A little getaway. And I remember us stopping at a, uh, a rest area, a rest uh, area to use the restroom and wash up and and I remember this man uh, he was big tall fella clean cut kind of looks like looked like Clark Kent clean cut fella big old guy young and handsome Christian man that was following us and we went to the restroom and there was you know just a couple of sinks to wash your hands and there were several men in there and this one guy, he was kind of burly looking, but he was a whole lot smaller than that Christian man. And they were both walking to the sink at the same time. And the Christian man was a little bit further ahead of the smaller, burly, rough kind of guy. And he was a little bit further ahead, but he realized the guy was coming that way. And that Christian man was so much bigger than him. So sharply dressed. He could have just easily stepped right in front of him and just washed his hands and went on. But he didn't. He stopped. 
And he said, go ahead, sir. You were here first. And it was so different from what I thought about being a man. So different from what I would have done. I would have just rushed right on up there quick, you know. Back then I liked Chuck Norris, Bruce Lee, and stupid comedy. And I'd always have a quick comeback. If you tried to cut me, I'd cut you deeper real fast. But when I saw that man uh, do that, I remember thinking to myself, there's something very right about this. There's something very manly about what I just saw. There's something I, I totally respect about what that man just did and his character. And unbeknownst to, me, unbeknownst to that man that day, he was showing himself a pattern of good works to me. And as a young man, I, I don't think I ever saw that man again. I'm not even sure if I even saw him on that trip when we got there. There were a lot of people there. But I remember as a young man, I looked up to him and I thought, that guy has his act together. And I remember, if that man would have suggested something to me in life, if he would have told me something, I think I would have listened to whatever he told me. I had that much respect just by watching his character. Paul said, sincerity. Look back and you take sincerity. I'm going to try to rush this up and get us through this passage. Show sincerity to the young men, Titus. Sincerity means purity. No corruptness. Some people do the work of God, but they don't do it sincerely. Not out of sincerity. Titus, preach what you mean. And practice what you preach to the, those young men. Because they're going to be watching. You know what we need? We need sincere men. We need men who are real today. We have men in Washington today who have no core values whatsoever. None. That sell their souls for a vote. They'll check what their voting base believes and then they'll write a speech accordingly. And act as if they're very passionate about what they're saying. But they're not sincere. They're a bunch of fakes whose only genuine character is love for their own self-interest. Be sincere. Show these young men what it means to stand for godly beliefs, even when it's unpopular, even when your life is threatened because of your faith. Be real so that they may strive to be real as well. The quickest way to discredit the values you preach to young people is to abandon them when they become inconvenient for you. You hearing that, older men? The quickest way to discredit the values you preach to young people is to abandon them when they become inconvenient for you. I remember, and I, I used this example a little while back, but when John MacArthur was threatened to be put in jail for having church service there in California when that COVID broke out, they said, we'll put you in jail. He said, well, you'll notify me we're on Sunday morning if you want to come arrest me. I'm going to be in church. Eighty-something years old. He could have retired and not had all that stress. And just watching that, it encouraged other pastors. It encouraged me. Be real. Be sincere. The quickest way to solidify your beliefs, the things that you're teaching younger people, is to be true to them, to be willing to suffer and die for them. 
be an example, he said, look in verse 8, of sound speech that cannot be condemned. Make sure you always tell the truth. The quickest way to destroy your influence is to tell a lie. Men, once you lie to your wife, once you lie to your children, you just lost your credibility. Once you lie, no one will know when they can trust you. They may, you may regain their trust, but still in the back of their minds, when push comes to shove, they're going to say, I, I hope he's telling the truth this time. Sound speech is speaking the truth in love. That's sound speech. Speaking the truth in love. It's speaking a true message with the right motive. Do this, Paul said, look back in your text, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed. Meaning, if you have a pattern of good works, then your enemy will be confounded. That's what the word ashamed means. It means confounded. It means their plan to discredit you will be brought to nothing. They'll be like, ugh! Having no evil thing to say of you. I've had bad people speak... I'm sorry, I've had people speak bad of me before. And when they have, especially if it's been at church, their complaints were so frivolous because I had done no wrong before them and after reading their complaints I've often thought to myself I am so thankful that that's the worst thing they could say about me men let your behavior be so in line with the word of God that the only thing they can rightly accuse you of is being a godly man that's the way we want to be that's what Paul was encouraging Titus to do for these young men. And may we as older people set ourselves up to be the pattern. And as the young people set ourselves down at Jesus' feet. With that we'll go ahead and close. And God willing take back up in the next verse. Next Lord's Day. Father thank you so much for your word. Thank you Father for how it corrects us. The Word of God is abrasive to us sometimes because our flesh grows in the opposite direction. The Word of God combs. But God, we thank you that you give it to us anyway because you care. You speak the truth in love. And we're so thankful for that, Lord. Mold us as men. Change our minds where our minds are wrong. Break down the patterns, Father, we may have brought from our youth and our, uh, the culture that we've grown up in, dear Lord God, and in this wicked world. And, 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 and we've seized that as our way of thinking of what a man or what a woman is supposed to be like. Change us, Lord, and make us the way you designed us to be, the way you designed the man, the woman, the home, the church to be. We ask it in Jesus' wonderful name for our good in your glory. Amen.